Hey, good morning. Good morning. It's been, it's been a couple years since I've preached, so i got a, some good nerves going on right now. And uh, just my heart in this message is really just, you know, asking God to bridge the, the gap in this place. You know, even in preparation um, for this message, you know, just this growing sense of reality that I really have very little to offer you guys. We live in an information age. We have at the access of our fingertips, even now, even more so, any message you will ever want to hear, any insight, any wisdom, any knowledge, the Bible broken down a thousand ways, a thousand times from a thousand different people, way more anointed than me, right? There is, there is so much available in the resource of God's kingdom right now in this age. What we need is something that's going to bring us past this to here. And that's my heart cry, and I just want to pray for a minute and there's a twofold thing here. There's me stepping out of the way and asking God to do and acknowledge that he can do what only he can do. And then also for you guys to posture your heart for a couple minutes. And that simply means to intentionally, consciously open yourself up and say, God, I want to hear your voice. God responds to hunger in such a powerful way. When we say in that place, Lord, I want more than I've understood in the past. I want to hear your heart for me right now. That's what we're believing for. So as I pray, I encourage you, open your hands up and just say a simple prayer to the Lord. Here am I, God. Whatever you want to say to me, I'm open for. So Jesus, our acknowledgement, God, is that you are seated far above us. God, that you are the name above every name. God, that song we sang, you reign. That literally means... God, that you are preeminent. God, that your dominion will last forever. Your authority is above every other authority. And, and God, I acknowledge the limitations of my capacity in joy before you. Because, Lord, I know I don't want to settle for what I can produce in this room this morning. Lord, we are stepping beyond what we can do and what we can offer. And, Lord, we're intentionally, consciously stepping in to the supernatural realm with you. And, Lord, we're asking for a baptism of your heart to fill this place today. God, I pray every lie off of every mind and heart to be broken in Jesus' name. God, I pray that the spirit of truth would fill this place in such a way that it would permeate all of us. Any place of confusion or disillusionment, God would not be able to stand, God, in the presence of your spirit today in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for fertile ground in my heart to hear your word and to receive. I pray for fertile ground in every heart that says yes this morning. Lord, I pray that the word of the Lord that does not come back void would be implanted and established and bear fruit for your name's sake today in this place. Jesus, we're coming before you because we want you because we're hungry for you. Lord, we're living in a day and age we need something more than we can produce in our own strength, in our own ingenuity, God, our own, uh, our, 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 our own wisdom, God. We need something that comes from another age, from another place, your kingdom. So Lord, that's our cry this morning. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, Jesus. Your kingdom come in this place. God, I just thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you. It makes a way for us. 
It divides soul and spirit, your word, God. It, it, it breaks off lies that the enemies has tried to just usurp us with, God. I thank you for your word that's going to be alive in this place today. In Jesus' name. And I just submit my heart, God, all my preparation even in this, my over-preparation. <laughs> Lord, I just, I submit it all to you. And I just ask you that your words, God, would be in this place today more than my words. That you would be heard more than I would be heard. God, I just pray that you would. You would you'd direct me, God. You would, you would direct me, God. You would take my words and bring them farther than they ever can go in their own. Jesus, we want you. We need you. This day and age, God, we need the word of the Lord in our midst. We need to be marked, God, with something that has eternal significance. God, we need something more. God, we need something more. And that's what we're posturing for here this morning. In Jesus' name. I've been preached in two years. I'm excited to preach today. It's been a while, but... A little bit nervous. I even, I don't know if some of you guys, a lot of you guys know me, but, you know, I went through that internship of U-Storm, or, or a good part of it, uh, back, <laughs> coming out of Teen Challenge 20 years ago, 20 years old, just rescued out of just, you know, self, ultimately, sin, just living for me. And uh, Jesus in his kindness showed up in my brokest moment after an overdose, and just called me by name. And I had, really, what other choice when he does that, right? When we get a glimpse of who he is, something happened in me, and I realized, wow, I've settled for this muck, thinking it's enjoyment when, when this is who you are. And I just, of course, said yes to him in that moment, and God brought me through the doors here uh, after Teen Challenge, an addiction program. And... Um, Spent some time here and then spent some time in Boston helping establish a church down there and a house of prayer called uh, J-Hop and Hilltop. And we spent five years down there. And then up in Salem, we were doing something called Freedom House of Prayer, which turned into a church. And so that was two years ago when during COVID where that was put on a pause. And, and God did some, some just deep work in my heart over these last couple years, you know, in his kindness, right, that leads to repentance. You know, sometimes we think that's just like a momentary altar call and like a two-second thing. Oh, you're so kind. And sometimes it is that, right, acknowledgement of areas of, of compromise in our life or an area of mixture even, even just things that maybe not inherently evil, even some of that stuff, just mixture where we're living more for ourselves than for God. And uh, he just, in his kindness, one day stepped on the scene of my life and literally was walking out of my bathroom one day on like middle of the week and like 10 o'clock in the morning. And the Lord just caught me off guard and whispered to my heart in a very clear way and said, Noah, I want to use you, but first I want all of you. And I just was like, whoa, I remember Amy coming around the corner. I have tears in my eyes. And I was just like, whoa, what is, what is, what's this next season? I knew this was something that was going to be more than a momentary thing. And so anyways, in his kindness, uh, he just brought me back to my first love fully. Even in the midst of, you know, full-time ministry and a, a, and a desire and a love for Jesus, but just dealing with, you know, sometimes the pruning process, right? Branches that don't produce, right? They, they take almost substance from, and, and they take away. But, you know, anyways, God in his kindness just, 
to did that to us, to, to, to my heart in a, in a, in a, in a very uh, deep way, very difficult season. And then, you know, God brought me back to the crossing as we were just like, had a major reset moment in our family. And we just felt like uh, grace and just everything was on the table with the Lord, you know, to do, you know, whatever you want to do, Lord. And um, that's where we're, we're at right now. You know, it brought us through the doors of the crossing, and, and I love it. I love being a part of uh, even just the timing of being so gifted with the timing of being here when this little spout o- opened up here, the spigot, right, of God's presence. And uh, just so grateful for that and where he has us here. So I, I, I come here today. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to the Lord for his mercy. You know, the testimony was always what he had done before I had gotten saved. But the more I walk with him, the more I am just getting entrenched in my need for him. The mercy of God in despite of me in my humanity and God's kindness and patience with us in this temporary frame. He's so good. The the message I want to preach today has a title and it's called Living in Light of Eternity. I don't know what the deal with titles in this place is, but every... (laughs) Every Sunday I show up, there's like this big explanation. There's no, I don't know. You know, I'm sure there was an origin to all that. If there was a title, there isn't a title, but there's going to be a title, but it's not really a title. The title of this message is Living in Light of Eternity. I didn't come up with that phrase. I heard it one time, I think, in a Leonard Ravenhill sermon. And I loved it because it provoked such thought in me and process. Um, If there's any note takers in here, I want you to write down two short questions because we're going to start the message with it and then we're going to end with it. And the first question is, what is the primary goal of our life? Honest question. Do you desire a spouse, a family, a good job? Do you desire ministry with the Lord? You know, all the different compartments of our life, you know, what do we desire in this life? If we took a second and really thought about if I could have anything, what is the desire of my life. And then the second question is, and this is, these are, these are questions that I feel like I've been in deep process with the Lord for a little while with. The second one is, is do we believe what the Bible says is really true? And that's what we're going to go through today. I, I'm a Bible guy, so there is a ton of scripture in here. I probably have like three, works, three weeks worth of message in this thing just because I haven't preached in a while, so I, like, that's that over-prepared thing. Um, so there's going to be a lot of scripture. If anybody wants these notes at any point, because I'm going to be ripping through quite a bit here, but just to give biblical precedence, I want you to really incline your ear uh, to what the Bible says. You know, we know the first commandment says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and literally everything else is ought to flow through this posture of first love. Sometimes it can, it's so hard, right? And I, I've, I've learned to even have grace on myself, but just the, just the humanity that we live in, right? The mind, the soul, and the, just, just always coming back to that place of first love with God, where it's all about him, it's all for him, and it's supposed to be all through him, meaning that relationship with him. Fruitfulness for God is not even the main goal, but obedience, because the mark of true love is obedience. It's the product of obedience, John 15 says. If you love me, you will keep my commands. I always thought that as an obligation way, but more I'm realizing that in this place of connectivity to the vine, 
in my love for Jesus, there is an overflow of obedience. Less of a harsh requirement of obedience, but more of a byproduct of change heart motives, desires of being connected to the vine. You know, the John 15 thing, that's that first love. Hebrews 9.27 is a powerful verse in the Bible. It says, it is appointed for every man to die, and after that comes the judgment seat. So literally for every single person in here, there is a moment that's already set in time. Nobody will die outside of the will of God. It says, you know, how much more valuable than even two sparrows are you when they don't even die outside of the will of God? There's everyone here, it says there is a day that we're all going to be appointed to die. And after that comes the judgment seats. And, then, and, and the Bible talks about two different judgment seats. And who, raise a hand, who, who knows about the two different judgment seats? So that's all right. Good. That's why we're going to talk about it. There's one that I think most of you guys know, and it's the white throne judgment seat. It's the inner out. Did we have saving faith and grace in, through Jesus Christ? Did we believe that he was the son of God, lived the perfect life, died for our sin? You know, did, are we truly saved? Do we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us? That's this seat, the inner out. It has nothing to do with uh, obedience. It has nothing to do with works about earning that place. It's by faith so that no, so, so no man can boast in their ability to be saved by God, right? That's the way. But then there's another judgment seat in the Bible called the Bema seat. And it's an unknown thing, but I'll read a couple of scriptures where I define it. But it's the reward system of heaven. And this, for some reason, is in conflict with a lot of how the gospel is produced or presented in our modern Western culture right now, because if you talk about anything about uh, earning something from God, our mind goes back to, no, we're, we're received and as righteous because of the work of Jesus, and our entrance is secure by that. And that is 1,000% true. Nothing is going to change that. But the Bema seat talks about the reward system of heaven where our life will be evaluated and we will be rewarded for eternity by how we live this life. Second Corinthians 5, 9 through 10 says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat, that's the beam of seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things while we did in the body, whether good or bad. We know it's not the white throne seat because it's talking about judgment, good or bad. So we know the bad in this life isn't going to take away our eternal inheritance with God. But there will be a judgment when we stand before him about the things that we've done in this body. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 says, Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, and straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work had any value. If the work survives, survives the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. So he's not talking about the white throne. He's not talking about the in or out judgment seat of God. But that person will, if all the work that they did in this life, they will still get in, but it will say, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. 
like get singed on the way in. The saving faith will bring them into an eternal inheritance into heaven with God forever. But there is also a judgment on what we do in this life. Our entrance is by faith alone. Our placement reward is by obedience. It's not talked about a lot. So we should be living in light of eternity. The reality is we are living for another age. How should we live in the constant tension of this reality if this earth is not our home? I'm going to read some scriptures. And I think there's some friction in this message, but I just want to say, I don't even care if there's frustration towards me, honestly. I was going to say, don't shoot the messenger. It's the Bible, but I really don't even care. The, the reality is, give your ear to this. If this is the Bible and this is what God is saying to you, I, there was a process where I had to humble myself, humble the grip of my life before the Lord and acknowledge who he was and acknowledge who I was. So how do we live in the constant tension and of this reality that we are living for, the other, for another age? Philippians 3, 20, 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and for it we await our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The beginning of that verse. But our citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to our home yet to come. 1 Peter 2, 11, 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of this flesh in this world, which wage war against your soul, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may not speak against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Sojourner means to live somewhere temporarily like you were on a visit, a stay for a while, a brief or temporary visit. Let me read again. I urge you as sojourners, exiles, Listen to the tone that he's setting in the New Testament church. This is not your home in the systems of this world that make up this place are not the systems that we're going to live. This is such a small glimpse in our existence. I love this one preacher had a great analogy. I probably should have brought the rope, but who's, who's heard of Francis Chan? I mean, it's so good. He has this rope and it just goes a long way that way. And it's this big, long, white rope. And he goes and he's raveling, he's unraveling, unraveling, unraveling. And all of a sudden he gets to the beginning of the rope. And on the beginning of the rope, there's two inches of black tape. And he's like, this is your life on earth in comparison to the eternity that we're going to spend with God. This little bit. And then he marked off the last little half inch, quarter inch of the rope with red. And he said, and this is your retirement. Most people just build, 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 surround their whole life around building for some type of existence for the last 15, 20 years of their life. That a lot of times, health doesn't even allow the full enjoyment. And I'm not even knocking all that. I'm just saying that there's a span of time that we have to invest into our internal inheritance with God. 
This life is not a home. We're here one day and we're gone to next. Literally, a revelation that so many writers of the Bible came into was, we're going to be, it's like one guy said it like this, we're like a piece of grass. A guy at the end of his life in the Bible. We're here one day, we're gone the next. One person said, we're like a vapor. It's like we're here in the morning, then it's gone. In comparison to the eternity that we're created for, this lifespan, and we have to, for me, it's been a benefit to allow that reality to just permeate or, 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 or encroach all my desires for this life and what this life brings. Because this is not the totality of it. John 17, 16 says, uh, one quick story. My grandmother, who was in her mid-90s, she's passed at 99, but in her early 90s, I think I, she, I got, just got out of Teen Challenge, and I was zealous for God and passionate and wanted to live for him. And I just looked at her, and I just said, after a century of living, right? Think of that. A hundred years of experience. I look at her, and I say, Nanny, give Give me, young man, you know, give me, give me some perspective. Give me some advice to this life that you've seen over the last hundred years. And I literally cannot believe what she said to me. She said, Noah, your life will be over before you know it. 20 years old, do something with it. And she was saying, do something for God with it. Don't waste it on this system. And I mean, it hit me so deep. And it's so true. John 17, 16 says, speaking of disciples, speaking of the disciples in John 17 in his prayer, he said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. I need some water here. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 says, all of these, you know, that chapter of faith, all they, these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and have welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Just that reality that this is not our home. This is a small blink of time in the reality of what we were created for. God created this world for our existence, even our enjoyment in our inhabitation of it, but there is, as we'll go in here, that means something for us as believers. And this message will land in some hearts with friction that will produce a like, a yes, because we see him. Some will receive it with joy and it's gonna bear fruit. And, and I fear that some will take it and it will hit a brass wall because it encroaches on our own plans and desires for what we've mapped out in this life. But I want to encourage you, even as this message goes, if, you, if there is any of what it did to me initially, if there is any of this tension, just continue to just set your eyes on the Lord. There is good news and hope intertwined in this. It's not all death. It's unto something that is so surpassing any temporary thing that we could find in fulfillment in this life. This will all be over in a, in a moment. And there'll be something for eternity and glory with him that will never end. Does this and how should this affect how we approach life? How do we ought to live in the constant tension of this reality? I do want to say it's not just about abstaining from sin, but it's our pursuits in this life and its systems. It's actually not issue-oriented at all. This isn't about things. It's about the idolatry of things. It's about what the pursuit of our lives rather than who the pursuit of our life is. 
It's when we become pursuant of the things of this world more than God. When first place becomes second place and second place becomes first place. Right? The love of this world, the love of money, the love of possessions, the love of things, the love of enjoyment, even just the love of good things like famine, all, the, all these things. The issue is not a desire for good things in your life at all. That's not what this message is. It's when that desire becomes first place in our life, where it starts to override and causes us to compromise in our relationship with God and Him being first place in our life. It's really out of revelation of his worthiness that we give him our life. You know, Revelations chapter 4 and 5, Daniel 7, I feel like they've been popping up in this church for a little while now. It's more than imagery, and for me, it has to be more than imagery. It has to be a growing reality in this this limited mind that only can comprehend to a certain degree. But the way that reality of God's kingdom being real, like let's say this, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel was there and he went into a vision and it said all of a sudden he saw a throne in the ancients of of days. God the Father, take the throne. And he saw like one like the Son of Man. Like he didn't even have a concept for Jesus. But he saw a man get given a throne in all power and dominion and authority of all generations, of all nations being given to him. What a scene he saw. The throne room scene. John saw it and he wrote it in four and five and a couple other places where he literally, I love the language and I've said it before, but he said 10,000s upon 10,000s were surrounding this throne and serving him. I looked it up one time because I'm like 10,000s upon 10,000s and literally what he was saying in his language was he had no number to describe the scene he was seeing. As far as he could see, in every direction, there was a throne set up. And in every direction, there were ministers before him just declaring his worthiness, declaring his authority, declaring his dominion. Right now, in this moment, that is what's happening there. And it's like almost like because of our human condition, there's some part to play in that of why that is foggy, that vibrant, burning reality of this king receiving everything that's due to him. And it's not cutting good things out of our life to obtain or understand that more. It's the connectivity to the vine. It's that first love becoming first place in our heart again, where this grows and increases and the the, the, the way we see starts to become clearer and clearer in our heart's desires and motives all start to change because we see him high and lifted up. Here am I, send me. Like Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I've said that a hundred times in the last month because I believe if there's any word in season, it's that picture of what Isaiah saw. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6. I saw him high. That's the key. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. The spirit of revelation on his heart that there was a king that was above every other king. There was a kingdom that was overarching every other kingdom. There was a name that was above every name. I saw him high and lifted up in the robe of the train of his robe filled the temple. He was majestic. He was full of splendor. His eyes burned like fire. He was a king of all kings. 
And his response was, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah was a prophet set apart, marked with the word of the Lord for his generation. And his response was, even though I see who you've called me to be, woe, woe is me. Look at you and look at me. And in that acknowledgement, it's a joyous condition when we don't settle for what we can do. When we don't settle for what we can produce, it's joy to step past ourselves. It is so much freedom to step past the capacity of our own strength. Our generation right now needs something that we can't produce in our own ingenuity. And we have to start from this position of first love, the acknowledgement of him. God, in the acknowledgement that his ways are even above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. The posture of hunger and dependency. That's why I value and love what's been happening here the last two months so much because it's producing, if you submit to it, this posture of dependency, of humility, the laying down of our own ways before him because it's this habitual place of turning heavenward, the beholding, the gazing upon him, the meditation of the scriptures that describe him where that reality again encroaches. It starts to permeate and take over every part of us in our emotions, in our mind, in our soul, in our body. We just start to get engulfed with the reality that he is this king and that it's a reality right now. It's not a reality for them and it wasn't a reality for them. It's not just a good story in a book. It's out of the revelation of his worthiness. And we can engage him with the thundering sound of 10,000s upon 10,000s. When we lift our voices, we're not just singing a song. Even if you're the only person in here singing, worthy is the lamb. You're not the only. Gener- There's a song of the lamb that is from generation to generation. There is a thundering sound right now that is rumbling the courts of heaven of his worthiness. You're not by yourself. We're not by ourselves. We're not filling blocks of time. We're exalting the name that's above every name with every tribe, tongue, and nation of every generation. We're we're consciously humbling our lives and acknowledging I am not the center of it all. Man is not the measure of all things. Who is man that you are mindful of me? In all of your glory and splendor, God radically baptize us, your church, with the revelation of who you are for real. Where it causes every part of our life to get flips upside down in willingness before him. Because we see that this life is not the end of the story. This life and the totality of it, they bring a temporal satisfaction and pleasure that is not even inherently bad and can be enjoyed with no guilt. I know this message in the beginning and some of my immaturity, it was so radical in me, it almost felt like I couldn't enjoy anything because it would be mean I wasn't setting my eyes on, on him. It's, it's not that at all. It's whatever he puts in your hand, your hand stays open. Whatever he decides to put in your hand, it's saying it stays open. It's cultivating a yes in your heart By beholding him, not out of obligation or duty, because it's what you're supposed to do, but the fuel is the divine transfer that takes place in communion and adoration and fellowship with him. There is this trans, 
And, and, and it causes, for me, a yes to be cultivated that if he ever does come and say whatever he wants of mine, I recognize it as not mine. It's his. It's for your glory. It's for your name. My children, my business, ministry, my life, my words, my pursuits, my goals that are all good. You guys all have pursuits and goals. Not bad. But are they second place? And that's the challenge. This life says he's purchased us. We're no longer our own. My Lord, help me live like that. Is that true of my life? It is in reality, but do we cooperate with that reality? I love the progression of this chapter right here. First Peter 1, 3 through 17. I'm going to read it quick. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Because he saved us, we live, for the, for, we live with expectation of the completion of that promise and that we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance, inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation in fullness, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire, tests, and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through these many trials, it will bring you much praise, glory, and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. That day is quickly coming upon us. You love him. I mean, how much more 2,000 years ago was he setting this tone? 4,000 years of human history, be even before that, 6,000 years. You know, a day is like 1,000 years to the Lord, right? The seventh day, I don't know, that's not a prophetic word, but sometimes that pops in my mind. You love him even though you have not seen him. Though you do not see him, now you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation that was prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They, told, they were told that this their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching all these things unfold from heaven. And the next little title in this chapter says, A Call to Holy Living. In light of that reality that we've been purchased for something else and for somewhere else and for someone else, so prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to this world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into the old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God has chosen you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge and reward you according to what you do. Do we believe that? Do I believe that? He will judge and reward you according to what you do. That is 
The gospel I hear is if you say anything about, and I'm broad, broad stroking, right? This church doesn't do that. But the zeal of the Lord is over his house right now in the earth. It is. The days are growing shorter, and God's zeal to produce and develop his church into a pure and spotless bride without blemish, spot, or wrinkle, it's happening right now. In an accelerated way, all over the earth, I keep hearing incredible testimonies like uh, Bird over here and, and many others where thousands are coming into the kingdom. I mean, two men in, just recently in the last couple, under a decade, just passed away that harvested in. I heard a statistic. These two men in their ministries, more people came to the Lord in their two ministries than have in every generation combined because of how many people are on the planet right now. Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke. If that is not a sign to the time and the hour that we're living in, the ancient harvesting tool is over the earth and many are being swept into the kingdom. In America right now, it's because of our freedom, some of these messages get put to the side because they don't necessarily build the church. They don't fill the seat. They call us to action. They call us to real conscious evaluation of our life, our time, our money, our resource. And it's going to be up to us at the end of the day if we're going to build with wood, hay, or straw, live for ourselves and barely get in by the seat. Yeah, you'll get in. Be a doorkeeper, whatever it is. It's better to be that than to be on the other side of not believing and not doing anything. But he's saying there is great reward if you, it's, it's in our humanity. It's not, he's not looking for perfection from us because we cannot give it to him. There is a reason his mercy is new every day. Because we need his mercy to be new every day. It's not about us being able to do everything right in our life. It's this this posture that's birthed out of continuing to make the first thing the main thing. And in allowing us to fuel how we decide what we do in our life. And when we fall, I love how someone said it, maybe Steve, you fall forward. And you get up because his mercies are new. When you stumble and you're like, shoot, I know this message. I want to live for you. I don't know why I found myself in this season these last couple weeks or this last year or 20 years, whatever it is. I don't know how I got stuck in the mud of this life. But here I am. God says his mercies are new every day. All we have to do is step into him. He's a God that forgives. It says as far as the east is from the west, he'll remove your transgressions from you if you simply confess your sin to him. It says he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. It's so crazy and unfair. All he says is if you confess your sin. He doesn't say first get everything right, then come to me and confess your sin before you got right, and then I'm going to cleanse you and forgive you because you came to me. No, he says boldly approach the throne of grace in your time of need so you can find mercy when you need it. In your time of need. This is the God we serve. He is better than we think. So in this place that's pulling us to wholehearted devotion, it's not duty or obligation, but it is setting our mind and our heart before him in light of who he is and evaluating what we're living for and, and producing because of his worth a yes to him. Yes, Lord, I remember this life, God. This, this life is not the totality. This day, this life will end. This little minute of time will end. And if you, it's, here I am. It's, that's all it is. That's the produce of this. Obviously, sin needs to go. 
If you've got areas of compromise, things that are robbing you and usurping you from walking and who you're supposed to be in God, if that's in your life, you continue to bring them to the altar of his kindness, remind yourself who he is, and confess your sin to him. But with everything else in your life, it's just this willingness that's produced out of communion because it's worth it. We just say, what a, why would I not? Like those heightened, heightened moments in worship or, or engagement with God in our private space, and it's just like those moments where we wholeheartedly say, everything I have is yours. Who's prayed those dangerous prayers? Everything I have is yours. Look at you. Would you just look at him? Look at him. Everything is yours. Everything is pales in comparison. My retirement pales in comparison. My financial security, my, my, all this stuff that not even bad, it pales. Would you just look at my life is yours. I consciously open it up to you. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. This is a tough one, but this is God's word, right? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away. Come on, it's always marking this reality in us. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. Dear children, this is the last hour. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your minds on these eternal realities. Matthew 16, 25, it says it like this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it in the end. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Build with precious stones this heart of devotion and adoration. Build with the sincerity of humility that Even in our weakness, what we have to offer, even if we feel like we don't have a lot to offer, it's the yes that has the value on it, whatever you want to do, that posture. Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus' words. 1 Peter 2.11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners, as exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He's just, the, the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, God's heart is constantly being poured out through the New Testament to us, the church, of making a distinction. And he even said at the end of the age, which I believe we are in the end of this human age, that time is growing short. 
It doesn't matter if I believe it. The Bible just said it, right? Dear children, we are in the final hour. What was I going to say? Huh? In the final hour, yeah. He's just setting the tone. I had a thought, it's gone. See, that's the Holy Spirit. Remember how I prayed? I'm like, only what you want to say. Also, also the drugs from 20 years ago. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. All right, get back. Back on track. Back on track. Second <laughs> Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Our momentary light and troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but is what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. They are just establishing this truth in the tension of how we live and how our tendencies as humans are. Just constantly calling us back to himself. That's just the heart of God. Calling us back, even in despite of us, because he knows us. Blessed is he who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Philippians 3.12, not that I have obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for this in Christ Jesus. I love Paul, who had the most to boast in. He wrote most of the New Testament. He was walking in incredible revelation that was breaking the whole new covenant in for the next thousands of years until Jesus came back. And he was the one just constantly laying this reality, this foundation, the one who was qualified to, to say, man, I got a hold of this. His declaration, in our declaration, it's okay for us to acknowledge our human condition. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this. I love it. It gives me hope. I'm not alone in that. Maybe somebody in here has obtained all of it. I don't know. Or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize in which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's this posture of expectancy, waiting, watching, being ready for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I have a whole other message here. It's, what is it, 12 o'clock? It was the second half of my message, but maybe we'll do it another time. It's in light of this. It's in light of this next part of this message where there is all those scriptures I just read. There is, what is it, a hundred, literally a hundred verses on being watchful and waiting for his return. And it is so neglected in how we teach in general. It's a very neglected reality. It's the fuel. It's another component of fuel to why we do all this, why we live the way we live. Yes, there's another age we're living for, but also he's coming and he's going to come at a time that no one expects it. The last two verses of the Bible, he who testifies of these things say, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen, Lord Jesus, come. The grace of the Lord be with you. Three times in that last chapter in Revelations, he ended the paragraph with, behold, I am coming quickly. What is the primary goal of our life? That question. 
And do we believe what the Bible says is true? And if we believe what the Bible says is true, what does that mean for us? I believe he is calling the church into such a greater measure of maturity and function. He's cleansing the temple. He's causing us to be willing to rightly divide soul and spirit in our life, to take a valuation of our life and to put it on the altar of offering before him. My life is yours. He is not a respecter of persons. I believe in the days ahead, we're even going to see from the young a confounding thing to the wisdom of this age. He's going to demonstrate his heart, his power through the yes. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. The old will dream dreams and so on. I believe there is an invitation in the earth. There is coming something that is going to sweep the earth. I believe that. At the end of the day, the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters come to the sea. And I always thought of it in terms of excitement of revival and of people getting awakened. The more I am burying myself in the heart of God, and I say this with the acknowledgement of my limitations of understanding, but I believe that the move of God that's coming to the earth is going to cause great tension. It's going to separate sheep and goats, wheat and chaff. It won't be comfortable to become a Christian. I'm not saying five years. There's no, there's no fear in this. But there is a place in relationship with him where the reality of our life not being our own becomes a joy because we see what is ahead of us. We see the kindness of his mercy that while we were dead in our sin, he called us in our brokenness not only to save us from our sins so we could just somehow get through this life trying not to sin. Somehow that is like becoming the existence of so many people. My life at times, it's been about that, I can say that. People, you're talking to people, you try to counsel people, whatever. And it's just like, I just want to not sin. It's like the Lord is, the Lord is trying to bring us so much deeper than that. We will stay in immaturity if we live for the things of this world and you will walk habitual patterns of sin. Because the system constantly, media, the, the age that we live in, the constant bombardment of what satisfied, what, 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 what fulfillment is, what a happy life is, instant gratification, all that stuff is just a constant onslaught over our mind and our hearts. It's constant. And it's up to us to choose the way of this world, singe on the way in, or to give our lives to him and to produce for him Whatever he wants to produce through our life, through willingness. There's no striving in it because we are, it's the acknowledgement we can't produce. It's whatever you want to do, I say yes to it. In the place of beholding. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is not heaping on. This is invitation into his heart. That's it. There's no earning to be used by God. It's availing. It's availing. It's opening our lives and just submitting and surrendering John chapter 2, he came into the temple and he flipped tables. And the first time he went into his temple early in his ministry, 
He didn't say what the church was. He said what it wasn't going to be. He said, my house won't be a place of business. He came in and dealt with some of the condition. The second time he went in, he flipped tables, dealt with some of the condition, and then declared what his church would be. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. The church is coming into what we should be. You know what? I just want to go back and forth about altar calls because we just do them. They can be familiar because there is a frustration in me about them because we can come here and if it doesn't walk out the door with us, it means nothing. Done it. Come here, say yes, and I just go back and I don't nurture the seed. Like the seed gets planted into the ground and I don't go and pull the rocks out around it that are trying to choke it out. I don't go and pull the roots out that are trying to choke it out. I don't pour water on it after when I get home and, and nutrients and, and, and try to feed it and, and give it light and sunlight, you know? Like get in his presence. I do want to do an altar call. If there is a place in you that is wanting to say yes to this in a fresh way, in, in, in real sobriety and awareness before him, it can be fearful, and I can say that, and it's okay if you're feeling like, what is he going to ask for me if I say yes to this? Here's the truth. If he wanted anything from you, he could take it. What a better posture to say yes to him. He gives, he takes away. And this altar call is just a fresh acknowledgement of my life is yours and also the acknowledgement, I'm going to take from this place what you put in me today, Lord, and I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to put water on it. I'm going to put the word upon it. I'm going to get in your presence. I'm going to just sit there. If I don't know what to pray or sing, I'm just going to tell you I love you. I know that's like a crazy thing to sit in a room and just to the air say, I love you. Some of my most intimate encounters, I'm not ashamed to say it as a man. My most incredible encounters with God was I was offering nothing to him. Most of them, but my love for him. Thank you that I was once eternally set on a path to eternal separation from you. And you decided in your mercy to call my name out and rescue me. And now I'm in your kingdom somehow. I feel like I snuck in somehow. <laughs> like, just, like, just keep tiptoeing around. I'm not here. Whatever, that doesn't even make sense. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But yes, this place of just acknowledgement, like, Lord, you are so merciful. Day in and day out, you're so kind. It says he walked, you know, that Hebrews 4 thing, it says, because we have a great priest that can sympathize with us in our weakness, that's why we can approach the throne room in all his power and splendor and perfection. He says, come in your need to receive what you need. It's because he can sympathize with us. He's not a harsh taskmaster. Master. But he wants all of us. He wants all of us. And it's time for the church to say yes to that. It's time for my heart to say yes to that. Because the days ahead, the world needs it. And the days ahead, I need it. And the days ahead, you need it. Something that's not shaken by every wind. Every spirit of delusion, every false teaching, every level of persecution. You know, the world right now is persecuted more now than ever. People are dying for their faith. They are walking in a reality of who he is to the point where they are willing to lose their life for him. 
Lord, do that in me. Establish that in me, Lord. Where it's maybe not my physical life, but I'm willing to lose my life for you. So as we just open up, I encourage you just to come. This isn't about getting prayed for. This is about you and God. So Lord, we just thank you for your kindness, God. This, your love for us. Because of your great love for us. It was because of your great love for us you died for us. It was because of your rich mercy you came and ransomed us and rescued us from ourselves and from eternal separation from you. Thank you. And Lord, we come humbly before you in all that you are, which is more than we even know, God. And God, we just surrender our hearts to you. God, we just simply say, God, I want to live for you in these areas that I feel like there's a wrestle. Lord, I I ask for your help. I ask for your grace, God. I ask for the empowerment, God, your grace is as it teaches us to say no to every form of ungodliness. God, I need your grace, God, to, to rule over my life, Lord. And that's what I'm signing up for today, God. A softened heart. Here am I. Send me.